This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Jackson, and I'm joined, as always, by George Smith. George, how are you? Not bad, mate. Not bad. Soldiering on nicely. About halfway through my holiday now, and yeah, things aren't too bad. How about you? Yes, good, thank you. I've enjoyed watching the Championship football this weekend. I've very much enjoyed watching Sunderland absolutely blast Southampton, which we'll talk about very shortly. Um, And... It's been a good weekend, yeah. I've uh, spent some time with the family and stuff, so all good. Um, and I'm glad that you've had a nice weekend as well. As always, a reminder to make sure you are subscribed to this podcast feed, which you can find on all your usual platforms. And make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram at ChampChatPod24. And a big thank you to our sponsor, Cars Accepted, for supporting the podcast this season. If you're looking to take car payments with no contract or monthly fees, make sure you visit cardsaccepted.co.uk. They provide a discount on the RRP of all Summit devices, so make sure you go and check them out. And over the next hour, we'll be bringing new reaction to the biggest talking points in the Championship as Sunderland smash the same. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. George, only one place to start on our recap of the weekend action, and that is at the Stadium of Light. The first game of the weekend, 12.30. And what a game, what a result so much narrative going into the game as well because Sunderland, I think it's fair to say, didn't have the best of deadline days, particularly given their star striker joined Southampton. Ross Stewart moving for £10 million and in the end. It felt, I swear I saw about eight articles saying it was off, but in the end it went through. And Ross Stewart's probably hoping there's some sort of recall clause that he can go back and, and undo time because my oh my, Sunderland absolutely pasted Southampton, putting an end to, as I say, a chaotic window for them with a massive victory. They were so far superior to Southampton. It might be the most one-sided game I have watched in the Championship this season in terms of one side just dominating the other for pretty much 90 minutes. Obviously, Southampton had plenty of the ball, but they were so passive. And I mean, when you go down 1-0 in 60 seconds, it's a great cross from uh, Trey Hume to the back post. Jack Clark heads them in front after 60 seconds. And seven minutes in, Equus doubled the lead. A little touch of fortune where it deflects off the defender into the far corner. But Sunderland were good value for being 2-0 up after 10 minutes. And you you wondered how the reaction would be from Southampton. You thought, right, if they can get a goal back relatively early before half-time, it could be interesting. I would say I thought they should have had a penalty at 2-0, where Bradley Dack, I think it was, brings down forgot the... Ryan Manning. It was Ryan Manning correcting the penalty area as he's sort of like trying to shield the ball and let it run across him. I think Dak doesn't get any of the ball and does take his ankle. So that is a... Ultimately, that is a big decision in the game which could change the result. We can't ignore that. But Southampton were so poor, they deserved nothing and Sunderland were excellent. They dominated... Without having the ball, they dominated on the counter-attack. Every time that... Southampton gave the ball away or a tap broke down. Um, Sunderland were aggressive, they were intent, and they were so, so good on that counter-attack. Joe Bellingham playing as a striker did really well to make it really uncomfortable for Bednarek and for Mason Holgate at centre-half. And Southampton were just so passive, they switched it side to side, but you can dominate the ball, you can't dominate the ball that much. If that's going to be your style, 
you've got to find a way of being better in transition. Just don't be bad in terms of uh, defensively and obviously making individual errors, which they did. But equally, you've got to have a tactic of when you give the ball away, how you're going to get break the opposition's attack early. You know, Manchester City went through a big phase probably two years ago, which went under the spotlight of them making little tactical fouls early on. Because if you play this possession style, you're going to commit men and be so high on the pitch that you are more vulnerable to turnovers. So you've got to find a way of dealing with that, whether that's dark arts, whether that's, you know, they play a fullback inverted with Carl Walker-Peters plays quite centrally, but he's still bombing on. Why not sit him a little bit deeper? They, they were so open. So as good as Sunderland were, and they were excellent, it was as good. It was as much down to Southampton being terrible as it was Sunderland being excellent. And the time Sunderland scored as well, two 0 up, had the penalty scare. Echo with another great strike. Bazunu's got to do so much better for me. He's got to save that. It's it trickles under his arm. I really liked Bazunu when he was at Portsmouth, and I thought it was a good signing. But he had a really poor season in the Premier League. It was probably a jump too high for him. But I thought, okay, drop him back down to the Championship. Hopefully that'll help him regain his form. He still looked a little bit suspect for me and he certainly should have saved Equa's second goal. Um, and then you're thinking, okay, half-time, Russell Marty makes two changes, brings Sheridan's on, goes a bit more attacking. And then within, what, a couple of minutes of the restart, Bradley Dax makes it 4-0 with a, a very typical Bradley Dax goal, which just ended any fight back. And it was a, it was a walk in the park for, for Sunderland, as it would be at 4-0. But Southampton offered very little. Chris Rigg, obviously, with the icing on the cake. Lovely skill from Bennett in the build-up as well with two pirouettes. He's probably still feeling dizzy at this point. Really, really impressed with Sunderland. I, I felt like their results, uh, their performances have deserved more in terms of the, the points they've had on the board prior to this. And it felt like just the frustration of the transfer window and you know the little bits of unease we've had around Tony Mowbray's future just poured out in aggression and in a really dominant performance for Sunderland. Really, really impressed. But my God, Sutton Fountain were really poor as well. Yeah, I think you've summed that up really well, to be fair. I really do. I, I watched this game. Well, I say watched it. I watched almost all of it. I was out uh, and I missed about the first 20 minutes or so. And when I turned it on and saw Sunderland already tootle up, I was quite surprised by the start that they'd made to that game, even though we'd both tipped it as our shock for the weekend. But yeah, I watched the rest of it. And like you said, as, as bad as Southampton were, which they were, Sunderland were very, very good. They they really played with a spring in their step. And like you said, it was almost a case that they wanted to let all of that frustration, that aggression out. And Southampton, unfortunately for them, were on the receiving end of it, though they didn't really help themselves. But I think for Tony Mowbray, for him personally, he's looking at Sunderland first of all. I think when you reflect on what Sunderland achieved last season, which was a miracle, to be fair, it was an injury-ravaged squad for much of the campaign. They were without their star striker and Ross Stewart for most of it. A very, very young, inexperienced team at this level. And all of a sudden this season, they've lost Ross Stewart now, even though technically they've been without him since January. Ahmad's loan uh, came to an end. He went back to Manchester United. And it's not really sort of phase Sunderland in that sense. These youngsters have stepped up. And of course, it was only one game, what they did against Southampton at the weekend. And you can't get too carried away. But at the end of the day, Sunderland... They've had a mixed start to the season, but they've they've avoided defeat more than they've been beaten in these first five games. And for me, I think for a young squad, they're still ticking along quite nicely. I thought Equar in the middle on Saturday was absolutely outstanding. I really did. Yes, he got his couple of goals, which kind of boosts him sort of a you know as a as a player rating sort of thing. He's going to get a high score for a couple of goals, but his overall dominance in midfield in the engine room, he ran the show. He was physical. He was 
you know, he was progressive in possession, showed a lot of energy, a lot of drive and a lot of willingness. And we saw that towards the end of last season when Sunderland snuck into the playoffs at the end of the campaign. And if he's now going to add goals to his game, that's a real big string to his bow. And Jack Clark, I waxed lyrical about him last season. Ahmad was often the man that got all the praise for Sunderland, but Jack Clark was on another level last year. He's got he, a couple of goals really, now this really season. Good. He was. He was outstanding. I think goals and assists, he, he certainly got, was it about 22, 23 goal contributions? His numbers were, were absolutely phenomenal. And then on the other side, you've got Barr. <coughs> Excuse me, you've got Barr. Then obviously, I think the biggest conundrum, if you like, for Sunderland is who leads this attack. Obviously, Joe Bellingham has been preferred as a striker so far by Tony Mowbray, even though by trade he is a midfield player. But Sunderland, of course, they've lost Ross Stewart now. But Luis Semedo has come in from Benfica in the summer. He's another young player. He's going to take him time to adjust and get up to speed. But once that happens, I'm sure things will click for him. Because like I said previously, if you want a manager at this level to nurture and develop young players, Tony Mowbray is your man. He did it at Blackburn Rovers with, with Harvey Elliott when he was on loan for Liverpool there, oversaw his development. Ahmad flourished under him last season. Jack Clark the same. So you can certainly guarantee that Sunderland have got the right manager for the profile of player that they've got. But it was just one of those days on Saturday, <laughs> excuse me again, on um, on Saturday when everything just clicked from a Sunderland point of view, where everything everything they you know they worked on just came to fruition. But Southampton, from their perspective, they were really really poor. And you look back at the stats of that game. Southampton had sixty nine percent of the ball. They had 70%. I just looked back in that 4-4 draw at Norwich, another game that they didn't win. So we are already seeing signs of what Russell Martin did at Swansea in the sense that his teams would dominate possession, but were never quite ruthless enough. Of course, Southampton have had, a, overall, they've had a solid start to the season. They've taken 10 points in their first five games. They've won three of their opening five. It's not a bad start at all, not by any stretch of the imagination. But I do think there is a a sense where Southampton, they've got to improve defensively. They're yet to keep a clean sheet this season and that will be a concern for Russell Martin, I fear. But I think it's worth mentioning on deadline day, Taylor Harwood-Bellis came in. Really, really impressive loan signing for me. I think they've done very well to get him. I'm surprised a Premier League club, possibly even Burnley, who had him last season, didn't come calling for him on a permanent basis. So I think with the international break now upon us, Southampton will welcome this period without a game, a couple of weeks on the training ground, just to continue adjusting to Russell Martin's demands. And obviously, they've got to adjust to one or two new bodies that have come through the door. They'll want to settle into the new surroundings as well. So I don't think there's any mass reason for panic from Southampton's point of view, because overall, they've, they've had a solid start. And prior to that defeat at Sunderland, they've won three of their first four games and were in a very healthy position. One bad defeat, which is going to happen in a championship season, can't tarnish the start that they've had too much. But there's certainly room for improvement. They've got to be wiser with the ball. There's no doubt about that. It's all setting good dominating possession, but you've got to do something with it. And you've got to take teams to the cleaners in in the sense that you've got to take your chances when they come if you're having that much of the ball. Because I say 70-odd percent of possession in those two games that I've mentioned there against Norwich and Southampton, that they did it against Norwich and Sunderland, that they didn't win. So that's certainly an area they've got to look at. Got to tighten up defensively. But as I say, international break, probably just come at the right time for Southampton with the, the, you know, the, the influx of new players, new managers still adjusting. But I, I still back them for the top two. I think they'll be up there. They've got an excellent team, excellent squad. And, you know, one, one bad defeat can't really dent that too much. Harwood Bellis will definitely help. I'm surprised a Premier League club didn't buy him, loan him. I'm surprised he didn't go back to Burnley. So I, I think he was exceptional when he was fit last season. So 
he will be a big plus for them after the international break. Hull City, George, they went and beat the league leaders, Leicester City, who did have a 100% record before the weekend. That is no more. The Tigers coming away from the King Power Stadium with all three points, inflicting their first league defeat. In truth, I have to say, I think this was a very similar game to a lot of the games that Leicester have won. I don't think there was great deal difference to, compared to, let's say, the Cardiff game, where Leicester were one all for a long period and scored late on. The game at Rotherham, similarly, was a game that probably should have been a draw. They won it late on. They've scored so many goals after the 85th minute, and there's not been a lot in them. I think we've all said, we've said throughout the season, Leicester, whilst the results have been great, they've not dominated anyone for 90 minutes, not even close, really. Not even for, for you know, two-thirds of the game. So all the games have been tight. They've all been one goal, one goal in it pretty much so this doesn't come as a big shock to me in terms of the result they were always going to fall on if you keep that same performance level where you're just edging out your opponents if you don't get better then eventually you know variance is going to strike and you're going to fall on the wrong end of that line that's taking nothing away from Hull City who were excellent lovely goal I have to say Liam Delap. we did say in pre-season, although we didn't tip Hull to do particularly well, both tipped them for 17th, we did both say that Liam Rossini could be the manager to bring out the best of Liam Delap. You know, he's clearly highly rated. Someone Enzo Maresca will know very well, of course, having worked with him at Manchester City. And I have to say, I think he's had a really, excuse me, I think he's had a really good start to the season. Um, the assist he provided last weekend or last Friday night against Bristol City was really good. He, he seems a lot more confident in his running with the ball. He seems more aggressive. He seems to be playing with more intensity, I feel like. And you saw that with the way that it was almost arrogant, the way that he drove around, chopped inside and said, no, I'm 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 a top-end champ striker and curled it, yes, with the aid of a deflection, but into the bottom corner. And I think he's having a really, really good start to the season. And that potential that we're fully aware that he's got, Liam Rossini is starting to bring that out in him. So really, really positive in that sense. Yes, I think there was a few times where Hull rode their luck a little bit. The goalkeeper had to make saves. You're not going to go away and win at Leicester without needing your goalkeeper to provide some big moments in a game. And that's why I'm saying I'm not really panicking from a Leicester point of view either or like going to deeply analyse this result because I feel like it's been coming a bit. And I think, I think you could argue Leicester probably deserved a draw, but I can think you can also argue that Cardiff deserved a draw and Rotherham deserved a draw in the games that they've won. Coventry deserved a draw. All of Leicester's games have been really tight. There's not been a lot in it and they've come out on the right side each time. And on this occasion, it didn't happen. And yeah, they probably deserved a draw, but they probably should have dropped points before. So it's par for the course really with me with Leicester. Hull, really good without uh, Ozan Tufan as well. Played Scott Twine, the number 10, which is really nice. I'm, I'm not really going to over-analyse this result for either team. I think it's a good result for Hull. I think, obviously, it shoots them up to sixth, which is really good. They've had a good start to the season with 10 points from five. But for Leicester, it feels like this was going to happen you could, with the performance they've been producing. And that's that's not really an issue. Like, 12 points from the first five is a good, good tally. They'll benefit from the international break, and we'll see what they can produce after that. Yeah, I think you've summed that up really well. I would go as far as saying that That's this is probably... Row, you think I've summed up well. That's a good start. Yeah. Well, we're starting to agree on things. It had to happen at it some point. Happen. Yeah, occasionally. Let's not get too carried away. But no, I think you, you've summed that up pretty well. Hull, arguably for me, went there and produced the shot result of the championship season so far. And I only said 
last week or the week before that any team that goes to Leicester and picks up three points this season is going to have an away day to remember. And it's going to be a really hard place for anybody to go this season. And yeah, like you said, Hull, they rode their luck at points in the game. What team that goes to Leicester and gets the noses in front isn't going to have to ride their luck. Leicester, by and large, have got the best team in the division. There's no doubt about that. But Hull City went there at the weekend and they produced such a professional away performance. And Liam Rossini, for me, he nailed his approach. They made themselves really hard to break down at times. And they just went there and sort of just just said to Leicester, look, we're here to try and win this game. We're not going to roll over for you because you're the big hitters. We're going to come here and give you a game. And that's exactly what Hull City did. And Liam Delap has took his goal really, really well, albeit by the aid of a small deflection on the way through. But he's, he's opened his body up really well and found the corner. And for him, he's looking like he could kick on because when he went to Stoke last season, we got high expectations for him. Didn't quite work. Then he went to Preston. That didn't quite work out either. But at Hull now, it feels like maybe he's found home where he's got the opportunity to thrive and be one of the key figures in this team. He's, he's got a couple of goals and an assist in his first five championship appearances for Hull. Liam Rossini clearly values him. And like I've always said, you don't come through Manchester City's academy if you've got nothing about you. And I remember Pep Guardiola said about two or three years ago about Liam Delap. He's quite a unique player. There's something quite quite different about him to other British centre-forwards. I can't remember the quote exactly, but it was something along those lines. So I think they certainly got the potential, Hull, to, to kick on with him in the team. And if they can get some consistency out of him, like he's threatening to find now, then it could be really good. But overall, what a cracking result for Hull. It, it keeps this good little bit of early season form going. They've bounced back really well from that defeat at Norwich on the opening day with, with three wins in the last four games. Now back-to-back away wins as well. They're, they're looking like they could threaten to kick on this year. I'm not saying that they're going to get in the top six. And like you said, we didn't have them particularly high in our one to 24s. But the recruitment since we made those predictions has been quite eye-catching. They had a really late say, burst, with really Hull, late burst on deadline day, didn't they? That, that prediction right now because of the recruitment. Our biggest, yeah. I think we both said, our biggest gripe was more the squad and the quality that it had in it. They've now added better players, Scott Twine, Jaden Philogene's going to obviously bring that, raise that bar up as well. So I think I would reassess Hull definitely and I would have higher hopes for them now because we liked really in Rossini, but we weren't sure about the quality of the recruitment. That's right. And like you said there, the, the recruitment in the last sort of four to six weeks has significantly raised their profile and the expectation levels. I mean, Aaron Connolly, for instance, he's settled in quite well since coming back on a permanent deal. And like I said, they had that late burst on deadline day with additions with Tyler Morton coming in as well. And um, Jaden Philogene, as you mentioned, the big addition on deadline day from Aston Villa for quite a considerable fee. Scott Twine, of course, came in a couple of weeks ago. So Hull have got the basis of a good team and they've already got some really good players like your Ovan 2 fans, uh, Jean Michael Seri's players like that. So Liam Rossini should be, should be confident about taking this team forward. And for Hull City, resembling what, re- what would resemble success this season probably would be something like a top-half finish, just that gradual progression, even though the fans are right to expect big things after the way the owners have invested a considerable amount of money. They could, they certainly could get in the top six. We've seen enough surprise in this league down the years. Just think others are better equipped as things stand, but they've certainly got the potential to grow. And if Liam Rossini can oversee that, there is potential for him over a long term, you know, to take Hull forward and take them back to where they want to be, which is, of course, the Premier League in years to come. So... Really good start to the season for Hull. Bounced back really well since the opening day uh, defeat at Norwich City. 
And like I say, they've gone into the playoffs with uh, gone into the playoff spots for the international break. Ten points from a possible fifteen. It's the same as Southampton, only two points worse off than Leicester. It's not a bad start for Hull, and like I say, a really eye-catching victory uh, on Saturday at the King Power Stadium. And as I've said, any team that goes there and gets three points this this season can reflect on it very, very proudly. I feel. Preston North End, they're the new Championship leaders. George, they beat Stoke City two nil at the Bet Three Six Five Stadium. I don't think any of us would have predicted Preston to be top of the league at the first international break point. And this, for me, was their biggest test of the season. Yes, they played Sunderland. They played some other difficult teams as well. But away from home, with expectations levels just creeping up a little bit after a good start to the season, after 10 points from four. And jubilant Stoke City fans, after a very good end to the window for them, 16 new bodies they brought in in the end. So I just felt that this would be a good marker to show us where Preston are at. And they took that opportunity and they beat Stoke and they deserved it. Loads of narrative in this game as well with obviously Alex Neal, Ben Pearson, Daniel Johnson, even Paul Gallagher who left uh, from the coaching team this summer. Quite even first half. Mark Travers had to make some good saves. He's had a really good start to his Stoke City career. And interesting point at halftime, George, where Frocky Jensen had to come off due to injury. And Dwayne Holmes came on and he obviously played a huge part in both goals. Really good driving run. I don't think that was a penalty. In fact, I'm quite adamant it wasn't a penalty. I would even go as far as to say as I think he dived. I'm not having that one personally. But it's a really good driving run and the sort of direct wing play, we've not seen enough from Preston North End. And I do feel like they've got a few more players. Rocky Jensen is not afraid to have a run at people. Dwayne Holmes at his best is good at driving at players. They've missed that sort of dynamism and that those players that can play in the pockets and almost play, they don't play with wingers obviously because they play back five, but they've got winger types or people with energy that can commit players, which they've not really had in the squad before. And that sort of run from Holmes is something I feel like they missed a player who could do that last year. And we saw that with Jensen who set up the goal for Holmes, obviously for the winner last weekend against Swansea. So that that's something that Preston have added in the transfer market, which I think is really good. And then the second goal, obviously... Is a, it's a lovely ball from Brad Potts into the channel for Holmes. Again, having that pace and dynamism to stretch the defence. He goes scampering away, squares it to Will Keane, who obviously scored the penalty, and he taps it in for 2-0. Preston have always been good defensively. Obviously, they made that ridiculous start last season where they kept drawing 0-0. They, they've always been a good defensive side under Ryan Lowe. Um, and even, you know, they put an extra defender in at the weekend. They put Andrew Hughes who's usually playing left centre-back. He played at wing-back, which I thought might lose them a bit in attack. And Jack Watmore came in for his debut. They still looked rock-solid defensively and still had that attacking thrust down the side. Have they got enough goals? That's going to be the big question for me, Preston. I do think they've added goals because Will Keane's record for Wigan, for a Wigan side that obviously was very poor, I think he hit double figures or was not far from it, is a clever player. And you've got Emil Rhys Jakobsen, who'll be back, I think, in September. Frocker Jensen definitely looks like he could chip in and get close to double figures if he's playing in a more advanced role. And then if they've just added a new striker, I'm going to try Militon Osmagic is what I'm going with on first thing. And the, it's local reports suggesting they broke their transfer fee, which was about 1.8 million previously, to bring him in. So if he hits the ground running as well, Liam Miller was another forward type player they've signed um, on deadline day. They might, if they've got enough goals, this could be a really good season for Preston, I have to say. And I, I do think that I probably 
underestimated some of the business that they've done. And I, I'm impressed with my, my questions about Preston pre-season are starting to get answered if, in terms of goals, in terms of different types of players. I felt they could be a bit stodgy, a bit samey last year. They've got players who can change a game a little bit more this season. And this has been a really impressive start. And this was a really, really impressive result in my book. It certainly was. I think the biggest factor that you've got to consider about this Preston victory is that Stoke had won every single home game prior to this game at the weekend. Stoke had won four out of four in, in League and Cup at home. They obviously battered Rotherham 6-1 in the Carabao Cup in the week. And they'd beaten West Brom. They'd already beaten Rotherham in the league as well. And they beat Watford. Preston went there and basically planted their flag in the ground and said, right, we're here. We're going to win this game. And that's exactly what they did. Professional away performance. Couple of goals for Will Keane again, who's had a really, really good start to life back at Deepdale. It must be said he's got four goals already in the championship, and I think there's a lot to like about this Preston team. And I'm glad that you've mentioned there, even though he went off injured at the weekend in Mads Frockar Jensen. I compared him last week in terms of sort of a similar sort, not necessarily a similar sort of player, but in terms of a similar sort of signing to Zian Fleming at Millwall 12 months ago in the sense that he's an unknown quantity, a bit of a creative flair player that had been missing from a team of that type. And he's come in and he's just added a bit of a, basically a bit of a sex appeal to Preston, hasn't he, in a way? He's, he's just made them a little bit more exciting to watch and a bit more bit more flamboyant. And I think that's what Preston needed because you've made a good point there in the sense that they've always been pretty resolute and sound defensively. I mean, for, for example, I've already always rated Freddie Woodman, the goalkeeper. He's a safe pair of hands between the sticks. And then... You look at that back line, the likes of Jordan Story, uh, Liam Lindsay, they're solid as a rock. And then Andrew Hughes as well has made a really good start to the season. So Preston have got a lot in terms of the base of this team. And they've just added pockets of flair and creativity and more exciting personnel to the squad. And that's that's being represented in the results that they've had so far. Obviously, the, the striker that came in on deadline day from Cadiz in Spain is, is Militant. Osmocic, I'm going, to, I'm going to go with it like that, comes with quite a good reputation. Obviously, they've reportedly broken their club record transfer fee to bring him in. Liam Miller came in a, a, about an hour later on deadline day on loan from Basel. He'll add a little bit of trickery to forward areas. So I think they've recruited really, really smartly this summer, Preston. They've done a lot right. They've, they've added in areas that needed addressing. And I think the bottom line is, even though <laughs> we're, you know, we're still very, very early into this season, we're only five games in and I, I never think you can judge the table seriously until about 10, 15 game mark. I'm just really pleased with Ryan Lowe, to be honest, because I thought he, I thought he took a lot of unfair criticism last season. The style of play, you know, it, it wasn't the most glamorous, but they were still getting results by and large. But like you said, when you were sticking up for him, there's a really good manager in there. He was up and coming when Preston poached him from Plymouth Argyle. And I think now he's got the, the, the crop of players to work with that reflects the way he wants to do things. So I think you've got to give credit to the Preston hierarchy for the players that they've brought in. They, they're certainly a lot more enticing and exciting than what we've seen in previous years. And so I think hats off to everybody connected with Preston because they've had a brilliant start to the season. Four wins in the first five. Only themselves and Birmingham are the, the only two teams in the division who are yet to lose a game so far this season. And I just think Preston have got something about them now where they can look at themselves and sort of say, right, yeah, we might not stay at the top of the league all season. It's highly unlikely that they will. You never know, but it's unlikely. But could they be one of the surprise contenders for the playoffs? It's certainly possible. But like I say, still very early doors. 
But I just think so far, based on what's been achieved in the first five games, to go into the international break, top of the pile, still unbeaten, that's going to do wonders for confidence over the next fortnight when they've not got a game. So you'd rather be in that position going into a couple of weeks off than, say, being at the bottom. But I think the big thing for Preston that we'll be telling is their run of games after the international break. They've got some really tough fixtures on the horizon. I mean, they've got Plymouth at home in their first game back. Then they've got Birmingham at home a few days later. Then they've got a a trip to Rotherham sandwiched in between clashes with Leicester and Ipswich. So they've got some really big games coming up and they'll probably give us a, a... a clearer idea of where this team is at. But with back-to-back home games to come, albeit against tough opposition, I think Preston have got reasons to be confident. So really encouraging and just a little stat to throw in there. 13 points achieved in five games so far this season. Took them 11 games last season to reach the same points tally. So it's quite clear they're moving in the right direction. And I think overall, there's just so much to be positive about Preston looking really good. And like I said, I think biggest takeaway, just really pleased for Ryan Lowe because he's one of football's good guys. And I think he's getting the, the, the rewards that he now deserves. Rotherham United, I think, produced the shot result of the weekend, George, at the New York Stadium. They beat Norwich City 2-1, inflicting Canary's first defeat and equally securing their first three-point haul of the season. They got tanked by Stoke 6-1 in the week, but performances in the league, I feel, have been better than the results have probably shown. And I think they were definitely due to get off the mark soon. First half in particular, I thought they were excellent in this game and they they really, really dominated what has been probably the biggest surprise package in Norwich. They've been the team that I've been most impressed with, I would say, in the opening four games. Well, Rotherham matched them and then some and scored two lovely goals. Dexter Lembiseka, his volley into the top corner was an absolute beauty. He'll be gutted that he scored it this weekend because unfortunately he doesn't even get the best goal of the weekend, which we'll come on to. And then Jordan Hugel heading home after a great team move. They brought in Sam Nombe as well this week for a club record fee, which I think will give them plenty of pace and directness to play off Hugel. I feel like he's needed more players in and around him. You know, he stuck up a good partnership with having Tariq Fosu and Obene running either side of him. He needs pace and he needs players that can stretch defences around him. And I think Nombe will give that to Rotherham. Whether he can make the step up and translate the goals, we'll have to see. But I certainly think he's a good addition for them. Norwich had chances in the second half and obviously reduced the arrears. But I thought Rotherham were really good value for this, particularly in that first half. And they, they kept out... Connect, you know, Norwich have got some of the most informed players in the league at the minute. When you consider Gabriel Sara. Uh, Jonathan Rowe, obviously Josh Sargent's going to have a, a spell on the sidelines with that ankle injury we discussed last week. But for Rotherham to dominate and be as aggressive and physically dominating as they were in that first half particularly, really, really impressive performance from Matt Taylor's side and they got the result that they deserved. Absolutely. And I've read some of the comments from Rotherham supporters that have been flooding into our podcast page today and they've just said it was just an outstanding performance and a lot of them are actually saying if they play like that every week, they'll comfortably secure a mid-table finish, which tells you a lot about the quality of the performance from what I can gather. And I think for Rotherham, it's a really interesting tale because you look at Rotherham's results so far this season, certainly the home games, they've not necessarily gone the way that they've deserved. They were edged out by Leicester. They played really, really well in that game. And I just thought on Saturday, even though Norwich entered that game as favourites, obviously after a brilliant start, I just thought to myself, Rotherham, they've got it in them at home to spring a surprise. And 
that was obviously exactly what they did. And I think Matt Taylor, slowly but surely, is managing to implement his style of play the way that he wants this team to play. And I think overall, I think Rotherham's performances under him have been uh, have certainly carried a lot more positives than negatives. Yeah, there's been a few bad results in there, certainly away from home. That is a problem they've got to try and iron out. But in terms of their home home performances, the quality nine times out of ten has always been there. They were 2 and up against Blackburn and they let that slip. We, the red card obviously impacting that game with Fred Onyedima being sent off for the, the two bizarre incidents that unfolded amongst that. But I just think Rotherham have got it in them. Yeah, they've not got the most talented squad at this level. They've not got the most exciting players. But I think what you get from a Rotherham team, and it was the same under Paul Warren, you get hard work, you get commitment, and you get players who are willing to leave everything out on the pitch. And that was the same on Saturday against Norwich City, they, who have obviously been flying. They do have some quality, don't they? But the difference is they don't have players that can produce that quality every single week. But there is talent the in thing. that squad. There is. I mean, Jordan Hugel, yeah, he's not the most exciting striker in the world. However, he's got a decent-ish record at this level. He will get you goals, and that's he's what he did for, at the weekend. Double to, figures, probably. Yeah, definitely. I think it's certainly achievable for him. And then you look at the likes of Onya Dimmer as well. I really like him. This, there is pockets of quality. Obviously, Ogbené was a big loss for them in, over the summer, him losing. Recruitment has been reasonably okay, I feel. I think Sam Nombe coming from Exeter is quite exciting. Did really, really well in the League One last season. I think it was 17 goals and nine assists he managed to get. Quite a good record to bring in. Obviously, a higher division, but we've seen several players make that step up with very minimal fuss in recent years. Andre Gray, uh, Andre Green, should I say, brought in uh, after a trial period. He started the season brightly. Cafu's been really good in midfield. He was exceptional by all accounts against Norwich on Saturday. A lot of really good reviews I've read on him. And, you know... You just look at Rotherman, like I've said, yeah, the squad overall is not the most exciting. It's not the most talented, but it's probably one of the hardest working and the most committed in the division. And that's what they've got to be. So I think Rotherham can certainly take a lot of comfort from this win over Norwich. Probably a little bit of kick in the teeth for them. The international breaks come immediately after it. They probably would have been itching to get out there again this coming weekend and get another game ticked off the list. with Confidence high. But it gives them a little bit of a boost for the international break going into it, having obviously got that first win on the board. So let's see how they can kick on. Just that big concern, though, is the away form. That's where they've got to try and iron out their problems. They've got to try and find a way to pick up points here and there on the road. Because at home, nine times out of ten, they're going to give anybody a game in this division. And they've played, obviously, two of the two of the leading contenders for, for the start of the season in Leicester and Norwich in their last two home games and played well in both games and unfortunately only got three points when they could have easily took four points from a possible six. So... A lot for Matt Taylor to, to reflect on positively from the past, say, week or so. Certainly in the league, obviously, the Stoke defeat in the cup was a bit of a bit of an embarrassment. But in terms of their league performances, I think their showings have been a lot better than certainly what the league table suggests so far. I would agree. Ipswich Town, George beat Cardiff City 3-2, coming from two goals behind to do so. Really important and impressive comeback from Town. And a real test of their mettle, I feel, after losing their unbeaten run last weekend against Leeds in slightly unlucky fashion, certainly not anything to be worried about. But you just start to wonder, how's that? How's the, the squad going to respond? And then 2-0 down after 60 minutes against Cardiff. And they deserved that lead, the Bluebirds, as well. Really nice goal from Aaron Ramsey, timing his run into the box. Nice poked finish past the goalkeeper. 
And Joe Rawls, a really nice finish as well. A little bit fortunate how the ball broke back to him in the penalty area, but on his weaker right foot, caressed it into the corner. But I think the substitutes made a big difference here from Kieran McKenna. Um, Hutchinson coming on on the right-hand side. Ladapo on for Hurst down the middle. Brandon Williams had a, had a, a part to play as well in, I think it was the winning goal, or it might have been the equaliser. No, it was the winning goal, in fact. Um, obviously, they got back in it for a bit of individual brilliance from Nathan Broadhead. He's already got three for the season. And then a brace from Freddie Ladapo. Uh, obviously, the third, the second of which in the winning goal, he didn't know a great deal about in truth with the ball ricocheting off the goalkeeper, uh, Gunnison, and then flying in off Ladapo's face and into the back of the net. But Ladapo is an interesting character for me because he's played at championship level before. He's obviously played predominantly in League One. And... He's got a good goal-scoring record. When you look at his games to goals, he scores a good amount of goals. The problem is he's not the 90-minute man and he's never proven that he's someone that can be starting every game. And that might be all right in the Ipswich Town squad, to be honest, because George Hurst is someone that can occupy defenders. And if they need a goal and defences are tiring a little bit, Ladapo might be the, the perfect sort of super sub, really, to come on. Because I just don't think he's a 90-minute man. And I think there's definitely an argument to say he's less effective from the start than he is off the bench. But he definitely changed the game along with some of the changes that Kieran McKenna made. Cardiff will obviously be very frustrated. That's the second time already this season they've let a two-goal lead slip away from home against one of the more fancy teams in the league. So it, I do think a result is coming for Cardiff. I know they won last weekend at Sheffield Wednesday, but like a, a statement result because they were very unlucky to lose at Leicester as well. If you look at the three away games Cardiff have played, uh, they played Leeds, they played Leicester and they played um, Ipswich and they've taken one point and really they should have taken far more than that. They should have got a point at Leicester, probably should have got at least a point. So they, they should be unbeaten probably, it's fair to say. But this was a an interesting test, something new to challenge against the Sipswich Town side, which we haven't really seen them come up against. And they passed, just about passed the test uh, and got the three points. They certainly did. And it's a sign of a team, despite suffering that first defeat since January against Leeds last weekend, of a team that's still riding the crest of a wave and got an enormous amount of momentum behind them. And momentum can be a wonderful thing in football. Off the back of a, a stunning promotion last year where about February time, it looked as though the wheels were coming off. And then they, of course, put that remarkable unbeaten run together. And after that Leeds defeat, it would have been quite easy for them to go back into their shell a little bit, lose a little bit of confidence and obviously went 2-0 down. And it, it looked as though that, that bubble had burst, that brilliant run of form was certainly well and truly over. But back they came, inspired by Freddie Ladapo and his contributions, albeit the second goal of his in Certainly didn't know much about, that's for sure. I don't think that'll be earning many Goal of the Season awards, that's for sure. But Freddie Ladapo, I mean, he stepped off the bench in four of Ipswich's five league games so far this season. And in the last two league appearances off the bench, he's got a couple of goals and an assist. So he certainly backs up your statement that he is certainly better used as an impact sub from the substitutes bench. He scored in the Carabao Cup in the week as well, starting against Reading. But you look at his numbers for last season for Ipswich and... Obviously, last season, Ipswich, there was so much focus on, say, Connor Chaplin and then Nathan Broadhead and George Hurst after their arrivals in January. But Freddie Ladapo, he scored 21 goals last season. He was a key part of that team that won promotion and he's certainly still proving himself that he's got a part to play for Kieran McKenna this year. So, for him personally, he'll be knocking on the door for a starting berth, even though Kieran McKenna may just say to him, look, 
your numbers reflect that you are better off the bench than as a starter. So we're going to continue to utilise you as that sort of player. But overall for Ipswich, yeah, they, they were beaten by Leeds just over a week ago. Disappointing result. But that unbeaten run, as I said, it had to end at some point. But they responded with another three points and they head into the break as a new promoted team with four wins from the first five games. It's been the dream start. And both myself and you, when we were making our pre-season predictions, we didn't quite sign up to the Ipswich hype, did we? Of the everybody else got sort of tipping them for for top six and one or two others. Of what we saw a lot of other people do, but yeah. I think predicting a newly promoted team to finish comfortably in the top half is, is still was, quite a lot yeah. of faith. I mean, I think did you have them in eleventh or something like that? I think I had them yeah, in ninth I spot I myself. I had them in ninth, and at that point, I kind of said that if they achieved a top ten finish, that would be an outstanding campaign. And we've seen others obviously go for the top two and quite a few for the playoffs and. I didn't quite sign up to that theory and it's still very early days. However, I think the thing for Ipswich, which has shown quite a bit about them in these first few games, is that all five games that they've played have all been very, very different tests, very different scenarios. Because you think back to their opening day trip to Sunderland, they weren't necessarily the best team on the day. They found a way to win. Then they comfortably beat Stoke in their second game with a really impressive dominant performance. Then they went to QPR and really had to dig deep to get that 1-0 win. QPR, if it wasn't for some poor finishing, probably would have won that game on another day. Then came the Leeds game, which was sort of the first of the, the elite championship teams and they were edged out by a goal in a seven-goal thriller. Then they showed the mentality and character to fight back from two down against Cardiff on Saturday. So they've had a good range of tests. They're certainly tests that I think will stand them in good stead in the long run and with the way they've performed so far, the character they've shown, and certainly against Cardiff, they have got the potential to certainly mount a top six charge this season. They're not going to have it all their own way every week. There's no doubt about that. They are going to have really tough assignments to come. They will have a bad patch of form, it's guaranteed. But so far, so good. And like I say, for any newly promoted team to have won four of their first five, being the top two heading into the international break is really impressive. So Kieran McKenna has done a fabulous job so far, just carrying on the momentum from last year. And let's see where it takes them. And they still talk that they could strengthen the squad. There's talk of them looking at Axel Twanzebe, who was a free agent after leaving Manchester United. He'd strengthen that defence a little bit further because I think the defence does need possibly a little bit more strength in depth. Obviously conceded six goals in the last two home games, which is a bit of a concern, I think. So certainly a lot to like about Ipswich, but still areas they can improve. But as I say, four wins from the first five for a new promoted team, it's fairy tale stuff, to be fair. Absolutely. It's not been a fairy tale. In fact, it's been a nightmare start to the season for Middlesbrough, George. It is, in fact, their worst league start in their history. They've taken one point from a possible 15 and they've got a minus eight goal difference after five games. You'd have had to be balmy to have predicted them to finish in the top two, that's for sure. You have to take your hat off, though. No idea. You have to take your hat off, though. (laughs) Goal of the weekend, possibly goal of the season. Andre Dazelle, take your bow. What a shot that is into the top corners. Nothing. Middlesbrough. Middlesbrough must be cursing their luck because, let's be fair, the confidence is probably on the floor. The last thing they want is to concede a goal like that because that's just like, what are you meant to do? That is an unbelievable strike into the top corner. So much quality. The way it rises, it's not even like an arrow. It almost gets higher as the ball progresses in distance rather than coming back down and just lifts into the back of the net. There's no back lift on it. 
amazing strike from Dezel into the top corner. And that that ultimately knocks the stuffing out of you because you're you're already obviously on a bad run. You're looking at the scoreboard, you're 1-0 down, and there's not a lot you can do about it. They did again, I feel like a bit of a broken record, I sound like Michael Carrick. They created chances, but again, they were wasteful. And then obviously, QPR on the counter-attack, ball cut back, nice volley into the back of the net from Jack Colback. I have to say, I agree with Michael Carrick. I do think there is some good stuff and better performance than the results might say from Middlesbrough. But if you can't defend your 18-yard box, and I'm saying that with the second goal, not the first, of course, and you can't put the ball in the back of the net, you can play as much pretty passing and as much nice patterns and create as much XG as you want. You're not going to win football matches. And I said this last week. I do want to give credit to Queen's Park Rangers as well because I thought they were very unlucky to lose at Southampton last weekend. And to be honest, since they got battered at Watford and they got some more signings in, They've been pretty decent. They were very unlucky to lose against Ipswich as well. And they did... Yes, they've scored a screamer, which has helped them on the way. But it does feel like I can see a pattern, as I said, when they beat Cardiff. It feels like there's a blueprint now for QPR to get results. They're not the worst team in the league, QPR, by a bit of a distance, I would say. They look like a mid-table team at the minute. And Gareth Ainsworth is getting buy-in. Bringing in Steve Cook has been a big part of that, I believe, in the centre of that back three. I think he's added some just some calmness to that team, some experience, and they look a pretty well-drilled unit. And having players like Chair, Sinclair Armstrong on the counter-attack, it's effective. And they've got a blueprint of how they're going to work. The team looks more like a Gareth Ainsworth team now, I feel. And I do think they've got a good platform to go and continue. And if they continue to play like they're going to play, they're not going to get relegated. There are worse teams than them in this division. For Middlesbrough, I do feel a little bit sorry for, for the run they're on. I do think they could go and string two or three results together after the international break, but not if they're going to continue def- defending their 18-yard box so poorly and not if they're going to continue gifting up goal- golden edge chances at critical points in matches. Well, we'll start on the positive front. QPR, first and foremost, since they were 4-0 down at Watford after 43 minutes on the only day of the season, they've been really good, to be fair. They, they really have. The performances have been really, really encouraging, certainly compared to the level they produced at Vicarage Road on the opening day. They've won two of the last four. And I think it's also important to point out that QPR have actually played four of their first five games this season away from home as well. So I don't think six points is the worst worst outcome they really could have wished for after these first five games. They went to Cardiff, produced a really good performance. They were very, very unlucky against Ipswich. Another day, they probably win that game, never mind get a point from it. They went to Southampton, got edged out 2-1, didn't play too badly at all. Then obviously went to Borough and capitalised on Borough's woeful levels at the moment. And I really do think Gareth Ainsworth has, has in a way, benefited from that 4-0 drubbing at Watford, as crackers as that sounds. I think that in the long run has served QPR well. It's kind of opened their eyes a little bit and sort of said to them, look, everybody's going to think we're the whipping boys in this division this year. Everybody's written us off. Let's go and prove everybody wrong. And... I think they've done that in the last four games, even though they've lost two of the last four. The performances have been a hell of a lot better. And I just think Gareth Ainsworth, obviously, is a, a manager that's renowned with playing a, quite a direct style of football. It's not the most inspiring. It's It doesn't exactly get bums off seats very often. But I just think in the recruitment this summer, even though it wasn't, it, it, I think they certainly missed in a couple of, a couple of places. They needed a little bit more, certainly in forward areas. I just think bringing in the likes of Jack Colback, Steve Cook, Asmir Begovic, it's just added that little bit of experience, hasn't it, to the spine of the team and a, a few sort of experienced heads. And 
players that have been there, done it and got the T-shirt. So I really think QPR can head into this international break with a sense of, not relief, but a sort of, maybe even a sense of pride, perhaps. Yeah, optimism is probably the right word. They've certainly, like I say, performances have, since the Watford game have been quite encouraging and they could quite easily have more than six points on the board because I thought against Ipswich, they were really, really good. They were quite unfortunate at Southampton as well last weekend. So I honestly believe that QPR have got the potential to not necessarily go and finish sort of 13th, 14th. I'm not saying they're going to pull massively clear of danger, but they've given themselves more of a chance of staying up than what we thought three or four weeks ago. They certainly look a lot more well-oiled. And for Gareth Ainsworth, he's probably silenced quite a few, including ourselves, to be fair to him. So the ending to the international break, I mean, locked on level points with the likes of Leeds and Coventry were two of the front runners, certainly for a playoff spot at the start of the season. So they certainly can't be too disgruntled with what they've achieved so far. A long way to go, but really, really good start to the season. It's since that Watford game, shall we say, it's been, in terms of performance levels, they've been a lot better than we anticipated. And, you know, Andre Dizel, what a goal that was on Saturday. I remember him, Andre Dizel, when he uh, when he scored his first ever senior goal playing for Ipswich Town at Hillsborough and Sheffield Wednesday in April 2016. I was there that day and he, and he scored a header from close range. And I've always remembered the name because it was his first ever goal. And yeah, what, what a goal it was at the Riverside on Saturday. But for Borough, they are in an absolute state of affairs at the minute. And I, had, I predicted a little bit of a drop-off for Middlesbrough after last season with the lone players that they lost and losing Tuber Akpom but I never expected them to to tumble like this. It's been quite concerning. I mean, their last 15 championship games, including the playoffs, they've won two, drawn four and lost nine and failed to score in six games in that run as well. So a lot of work for Michael Carrick to do over the break. So yeah, it's going to be interesting. But Borough, all of a sudden, you know, you look at them, they're, they're now bottom of the league. Sheffield Wednesday have gone above them on goal difference. It's not the place that you want to not the place bad. you want to be in with a fortnight break. No, absolutely not. Plymouth Argyle beat Blackburn Rovers three 0 at home park. George, good home form, of course, was such a backbone of their promotion from League One, and they've continued that with a good start at home park in the Championship too. I have to say, I don't think this scoreline probably reflects the entirety of the game. I do think there was fortune for Plymouth. And take nothing go. That's not me discrediting Plymouth, but they took their chances and were a little bit fortunate with the timings of their goals and how the game flowed. They were clinical. There were, I say, there was a few game-changing moments that went against Blackburn. Most and foremost, like it's a hot shocker of a miss from Ryan Hedges at nil-nil, one-on-one. He's just got to score, and it's quite typical. It sums up Ryan Hedges as a footballer quite well that that he scored the goal that he scored last weekend against Watford and then missed the. The obviously easy chance that he missed it against Plymouth. That it just sums him up as a as a player from what I've seen, and which is quite a lot of him to be fair. And then Plymouth's opening goal, they got the other end. Finazaz, it's a good strike from range. It takes a massive deflection off Adam Morton, leaves Ainsley Pears in no man's land, wrong footed. And then at one 0 you've got another big opportunity. Lewis Travis bursts into the box. His shot's deflected, but it goes off the bar and out rather than into the back of the net. And at that point, I think Blackburn can feel probably a bit hard done to to be behind at this point. But then individual errors cost them. I think Ainsley Pez has got to do a lot better with the first shot that Ryan Hardy then taps in for 2-0. And then, of course, he cocks up for the third as well. It's just the third goal is not just pairs. I think it's a bit of a mess from both centre-halves as well. Hayden Carter and Scott Wharton, Dom Heim had gone off with uh, illness at this point. 
So I do think the centre-halves didn't cover themselves in glory for the third, but Pears has got to do better. He's certainly got to do better for the second for me. I'll be intrigued to see whether Yondal Thompson considers making a change in goal after the international break. They bought Leopold Wallstead in in the summer to replace Thomas Kaminsky, who of course moved to Luton Town, very highly rated. Um, he was about to move to Bromby, in fact, and Rovers swooped in at the last minute. He was their first choice target to replace Kaminsky if he did leave. Um, the Luton deal dragged on for like four to six weeks from when the first offer came in. So they would have moved for him sooner. I wonder whether he might get a run after the international break because Pears just hasn't convinced me from what I've seen in pre-season personally and some of the performances. He, he played very well against Watford, I would say. His, say you know, his handling is good. You know, He makes good saves, but he concerns me when he comes out of his box sometimes. And I'm just not 100% sure that... He had a really good run in March, which kept Kaminsky out of the team. But then his form started to dip a little bit. And then he didn't have the greatest pre-season. I just wonder whether Wallstead might get a going goal. It wasn't a 3-0 game, in my opinion. But that's to take nothing away from Plymouth. They took their chances. They were clinical. And it's a very good victory for Schumacher and his side. But I do think, if you look at the, the, the course of the game and you know the big moments in it that fell at you know game-defining times... They did go pretty much all go against Blackburn and all go for Plymouth. So I think 3 0 is probably a little bit of a flattering scoreline. Well, as you you're the Blackburn man and you've given quite a good assessment of them, I'll I'll have a look at Plymouth, shall I? And you know, wax lyrical about them a little bit. And yeah, like you said, it wasn't necessarily a three 0 game, but Plymouth got the three goals, they got the three points, and they march on and their good start to the season continues. A respectable seven points in their first five games. Very unfortunate to lose the two games that they did lose so late on against Southampton and very late on against Birmingham as well. I actually saw a comment during the week from a Birmingham City fan who actually said that Plymouth are the the best team that he'd uh, visiting team that he'd seen at St Andrews for about three years in terms of a footballing side. So Plymouth are ruining quite a few friends, I think, early doors from the you know fans of other clubs in this. Feel like a neutral favourite, don't they? They do, they do. It's been a long road back for them. It, it was 13 years since they'd last kicked a ball in the Championship. 2010, they were relegated. And they obviously went went down to League Two uh, and had to fight their way back under quite a few managers. Then Ryan Lowe kick-started the, the revolution and Steve Schumacher picked up the baton. But I honestly think Plymouth have played some really good football in these first few games, the first cluster of matches we've seen this season. And they were obviously very unfortunate to lose the game against Southampton. We both saw that one when it was live on the TV and Shea Adams scored that really, really late winner. And like I said, he went to Birmingham and got got kicked with another last gas winner from Jay Stansfield just over a week ago. But I think for Plymouth, and it was what I said at the beginning of the season before a first ball had even been kicked, it's their home form that is going to be the really big thing for them. And I've actually spent a little bit of time today reviewing their home form since the beginning of last season, their Lee One title winning season. We've got a tweet going on the podcast tomorrow, Monday, as well as you listen to this. It might have gone up if you're listening to it on, say, later in the week or Monday evening. Plymouth's home form since the start of last season is now just, it's incredible to be quite honest. From the last 79 points on offer, they've taken 67 at home park. It's it's a remarkable run of form on their own patch. It really is. They've only lost three home games at home since the beginning of last season. They've only drawn once as well. It is an unbelievable record. And Stephen Schumacher can be really proud of the way that that's continued in the championship so far with two wins from the first three at home. And like I say, very unlucky to lose to Southampton in that game sandwich between the, 
the wins over Huddersfield and then Blackburn Rovers. But uh, I think on a personal level, for uh, individual level for Plymouth, obviously we've praised a lot of Morgan Whitaker, Bally Mumba. They've been the stars of the show so far. But you've got to tip your hat to Ryan Hardy as well. He's made the step up four goals in his first five championship games. Joint top scorer in the division so far. Really impressed with the way he's adapted to life at this level. Looks like a proper number nine, Ryan Hardy. Knows where to be, right place, right time. Proved that with the goal against Birmingham last weekend, following up on the rebound. So Plymouth have got a lot going for them throughout the team. They've got a few flair players in there, like your Mumbers, your Whittakers. Then um, You've got Cullen and Azaz in the middle, look really promising. And of course, like I've just said there, Ryan Hardy's putting the ball in the back of the net. So a lot going for Plymouth. Not necessarily a, a 3-0 victory uh, on the grand scheme of the, the way the game went against Blackburn, but... Looking at Plymouth, the bigger picture, their first five games back in the Championship, there's a there's a hell of a lot to like about what they've done so far. Absolutely. Uh, Huddersfield Town, George, they got their first victory of the season, beating West Brom 2-1 at the Hawthorns. I, I think Alex Palmer's had quite a poor start to the season. I think he should have done better for both of these goals. I thought that he was quite easily beaten at his near post on the opening day against Blackburn when Harry Leonard slotted one in at the near post. And again, I think he should do better on both goals, particularly the first one, um, which is Delano Bergzorg, a new name to us, firing in. I have to say, I thought West Brom's equaliser was really, really nicely worked. Lovely from Thomas Asante, ball into Swift. Great finish, lovely counter-attacking goal. And then obviously the, the away end gets sent into Bedlam in the 98th minute with Jack Radoni earning the points for them. It's a nice shot. It's a good reverse shot into the far corner, into the, well, I suppose, the near corner. I don't know. I think the goalkeeper should be doing a little bit better. I definitely think he should have done better for the first, getting beat at his near post. We spoke about West Brom's um, impressive home forms under Carlos Corbrand, so lots of credit to Huddersfield, who played well. And again, is another team that probably feel like they should have more points than they have got for the performances they put in. They've not got a lot of goals in the team. So to go away from home and score two against West Brom, who are quite solid at home, deserves some praise, deserves some credit. Lee Nichols made a really big save in stoppage time at one all at this point to deny Josh Mazur as well, which was really important. I noticed some quotes from Neil Warnock in the week saying that Nichols probably not had the best start of the season, but defending him and saying, I think, a bit of transfer speculation probably played its part. Well, he basically got them two points. Or certainly, let's say they earned two extra points. Radoni can take credit for one of them by firing it into the net. I think Nichols can take credit for the other by making sure they didn't lose the game first and foremost. Really big win for Huddersfield and one they needed to hopefully kickstart their season. Definitely. Coupon buster, I think, were the, were the best way to describe this one. Quite similarly to, to Rotherham's win over Norwich and Hull's victory at Leicester City. So, yeah, a massive win for Neil Warnock and one that they desperately needed heading into the international break. And I've got to admit, I did not see this one coming. We, we mentioned last weekend, didn't we, after West Brom thumped Middlesbrough 4-2 about their um, impressive home form under Carlos Corbran. And by and large, this looked like being a, being a home banker, didn't it? West Brom obviously has started the season reasonably well, certainly at home. Huddersfield obviously have had a really disappointing start, thrash 4-0 by Norwich last weekend. But they went there with a the game plan and, and Neil Warnock's players managed to execute it really, really well. And it's lifted a massive weight off the shoulders heading into the international break because they didn't have the best ending to the transfer window. I think we can all agree. Huddersfield's recruitment over the summer was was very uninspiring. I'd go as far as saying that they 
they possibly had the worst window of, of every club in the division, to be quite honest. I thought they had a really poor summer, didn't get anywhere near the level of quality that they required. But you always know under Neil Warnock, nine times out of ten, you're going to get a team that's going to fight and, and show passion and commitment. And, and that's exactly what Huddersfield did at the weekend. Fought to the very, very end, got a result, four points in the last two away games, albeit one of them was against Middlesbrough. But I think Neil Warnock, overall, he can be pleased with with what he's seen in the last couple of weeks, even though that Norwich defeat in the middle of it was a little bit disappointing. Because I think when you compare squads of Huddersfields to most in this division, Huddersfield have got a really, really poor squad. I don't think there's any denying that. It is weak, certainly not just the first 11, but the, the squad overall, it's, it, it is really short on quality. And like I say, only four signings throughout the summer, even though, to be fair, one of them, since we last recorded, Ben Wiles covered in. That was that was an excellent addition, to be fair, from Rotherham United. One that I'm I was surprised to see get done, but I think overall, I think Huddersfield are a team that, though they're largely short on on star-studded quality, they've got a manager who will get them fired up nine times out of ten and will try and get results. So a big win for them. I'm still not sold that they're gonna do a full Neil Warnock sort of progress through the season untroubled and really punch above their weight. I'm not sold on that. I do quite fear for them in terms of relegation, but isolating the West Brom game at the weekend, it was a game that they deserved to win. They executed the game plan really, really well. They limited West Brom. And, you know, Neil Warnock, you you look at him, and that was kind of a typical Neil Warnock away performance where he set his team up to be resolute and they got the job done with a last-minute strike from, from Jack Radoni. So let's see what they can do. But I think similarly to Rotherham, They'll probably be feeling a little bit frustrated that the international breaks come so soon after getting that first win on the board. And then finally, to round off the weekend roundup, George, um, Bristol City, they beat Swansea City 2-1 at the Liberty Stadium, or the Swansea.com Stadium, as it's actually called. It's not quite clicked, not quite happening under Michael Duff for Swansea, is it? And I have to say, they were very lucky to be winning this game at half-time, to be quite honest. They were outplayed for most of it by Bristol City, who I thought was by far the best team. I have to say the goal, though, was very nice from Swansea. Lovely ball through for Liam Cullen to finish. Um, but Bristol City turned it around. Lovely goal from Mark Sykes, chopping back inside and finishing with his left foot. He's had a good start to the season. But I want to talk about Sam Bell, who's really impressed me playing off that left flank. He's kept keeping Anis Mimetti out of the team. And he's proving that he's, he, he's, you know, he broke through the Bristol City Academy. I remember watching him on loan at Grimsby Town, what, 18 months ago now? Um, yeah, probably about, just well, probably a little bit more than 18 months. It was it was December 2021, around that time. He was on loan for a month at Grimsby, and he looked like he could strike a ball then, and he played up front. He got a little bit of pace about him, and he's found this role in this Bristol City team at, off the left-hand side, but not as a winger, as a goal threat, as almost a second striker in the team to come inside to score goals. And it's a really good finish at the back post, back across the goalkeeper to finish off a good move from Bristol City. I felt like they needed this result and they needed a bit of oomph in the final third Bristol City because they'd not really had that in the last couple of results. They missed quite a lot of chances against Hulk, racked up quite a high XG. But... Since Alex Scott left, I feel like there's been missing a bit of creativity. Well, I felt like they had that back a little bit the weekend. They were thoroughly deserving of this three points. And in Sam Bell, they've got someone who we saw Tommy Conway, for example, have a fully a full breakthrough season last year. Maybe we can definitely, I think, see that from Bell this year. 
Yeah, quite possibly. I, I mean, he, he caught the eye on a few occasions last season, didn't he? And Bristol City, they've had a knack for developing young players over the last couple of years, really. And obviously, Alex Scott was the, the headline act of that department. He, obviously, he's moved on to pastures new now with, with that sort of move to Bournemouth. But Bristol City have got the ability to bring these players through. And Sam Bell now, he's he's got, three, uh, got a couple of goals in the league this season. I think, did he score in the Carabao Cup as well? Uh, no, he didn't. Forgive me on that one. He, he didn't score in that win over Oxford in that 5-1 win in the first round. So he's got a couple of goals so far this season. And he took his goal really, really well at the weekend to, to win that game at Swansea. And Mark Sykes as well popping up with the first one to bring them level. And I think Bristol City overall have they've had a fairly solid start to the season, really. Eight points in their first first five games. They, they've, they've gone their first three away games unbeaten, which is quite quite impressive. Just that home form, isn't it? That they need to try and try and correct a little bit and hit the ground running on their own patch. They've not failed to they've failed to win each of their opening two home games, scoring just one goal in that one-one draw with Preston on the opening day. So a little bit of work to be done there, but overall a good start to the season. And I think Nigel Pearson can be quite pleased because you look at what Bristol City did in the summer. The recruitment was was reasonably solid, I thought. To be fair, Rob Dickey, Jason Knight, two really eye-catching signings, and Taylor Gardner Hickman on a free was clever business. Yeah, he did quite well at Derby last year, and Taylor Gardner Hickman's coming alone from West Brom. He, he's quite a talented player on his day. I've seen eye-catching flashes from him during his West Brom career so far. So to say that he brought five in, the recruitment wasn't too bad at all. And I think Bristol City, though, to be fair, I, I tipped them for quite a low league finish this year, and you were quite quite stunned by that when I when I when I said it. I think I had them in nineteenth spot. So. Something like that it was nineteenth or twentieth. It was quite low down, and I, I uh, may have le- may have been a little bit hasty there and a bit sort of undervaluing Bristol City. But the season so far has been it's been steady. Certainly not, certainly not at a level where you stand back and think, "Wow, this is really really eye catching." It's just been steady and solid. And I think eight points from the first five games. It's a respectable return. It's got them in eighth place heading into the international break couple of wins, couple of defeats and a draw. Uh, couple of wins, couple of draws and a defeat in there from their first five. So I think they can be pretty pretty sound and solid with that. So let's see how they move after the international break, the way that they kick on. Just think the challenge for Bristol City, if I was to be a little bit nitpicky, is can they just try possibly, and the same can be said for quite a few other teams as well, can they possibly just try and increase that attacking output that a little bit more? Because on Saturday, that when it's one of the first time they've managed to actually score more than one in a game in their first five. So there's certainly work to be done for Nigel Pearson. But overall, a, a solid start to the season for Swansea, though. A little bit underwhelming and not quite the impact I expected from Michael Duff. But I think at the same time, you've got to balance that against the fact that they've they've lost their star striker in Joel Perot, the star player. So, you know, you've got, you've got to appreciate that and, and work out a way to move forward without him. So I'm, I'm confident that it'll come good under Michael Duff. But... He would have certainly hoped for a better start than the one he's had. Yeah, three draws in the Championship this weekend. The most eye-catching, of course, Coventry City free, Watford free. Have you ever seen two worst goals scored in a game, George? Because we had that. It's difficult to, to remember one, I must admit. Uh, Wesley Hoot will not be <laughs> wanting to watch that one back. I think mean, put the ball past his own goalkeeper, Daniel Backman, who was out of his goal with a back pass. And then... Bobby Thomas will not want to see his back pass back because that was intercepted and squared for Rajevic, the new number nine for Watford. Um, that was his second of the game. 
think that made it 3-2 to Watford when Thomas cocked up. And then Matt Godden with a really nice finish for the equaliser. Um, Honours even at the Coventry City Building Society Stadium. Birmingham 1, Millwall 1. Another goal for Jay Stanfield, who I have to say is looking really lively at championship level. We wondered how he'd make the step up. Obviously scored that dream debut goal against Plymouth. Well, another well-taken finish here and could have had a winner as well. Well saved by Sarkic. Um, Scott Hogan missed a penalty in this one at 0-0. And then Millwall took the lead through Kevin Nisbet. I think, should John Ruddy do a little bit better? Uh, it's difficult to say, but I know Birmingham fans were very aggrieved in the with the free kick being given in the first place. But Nisbet, to be fair, he's stepped up and he's found the back of the net. can do a wonders for his confidence. Um, I just think for Birmingham, you know, looking at the game as a, as a grand sort of as a general takeaway of the game, they'll probably be a little bit disappointed with the fact that they've not won this one at home, and that's a nod to just how much progress they've made so far this season. Yeah, and I think just you know before we move on and wrap this up, Birmingham as well recruitment in the summer now the window shut. I, I think really really impressive. Cody Drame and Oliver Burt being added on deadline day, and Drame I thought was excellent on loan at Luton last season in the second half of the, the campaign. Got Ethan Laird, Lee Buchanan and Cody Drama competing at fullbacks <laughs> quite silly. It's, it's very impressive, isn't it? And I think Ollie Burke as well, if you can get the best out of him, that's a really, really good sign. He's blown hot and cold in the last few loan spells, but if you can if you can get a tune out of him, there is a player in there. We've seen flashes. No, no but one's those got flashes, a tune out of him since they broke that's the thing. That's the thing. He's struggled in his last few loan spells. Didn't really do a lot at Millwall. Struggled at Sheffield United. But like I say, if, and it is a big if, if John Eustace can find a way to unlock his potential again, that there is definitely a player in there. But Jay Stansfield looking like quite a smart addition already. A couple of goals in his first two league appearances. So a lot to like about what Birmingham did over the summer. And like I say, like I said very earlier on in this episode, just themselves and Preston still unbeaten in the league so far. And then Leeds United nil, Sheffield Wednesday nil, first point of the season for the Owls, who needed some saves from their goalkeeper. Did have a few chances themselves, uh, most notably through Josh Windass, but point apiece in this Yorkshire derby at Ellen Road, which is a good result for Wednesday and important for them to break their duck going into the international break. That rounds off this weekend's Championship Chat podcast. Please make sure you are subscribed to this feed where you wherever you get your podcast from and you'll get the latest episode from us every single week and you can follow us on twitter at champ chat pod 24 huge thank you again to our sponsors cards accepted for their support this season make sure you go and check them out at cardsaccepted.co.uk. thank you for listening and we'll catch you next week for another episode of the championship chat podcast this is the championship chat podcast your home of news views and debate from england's second tier